Welcome to the second episode of the Peas in the Podcast Season 2. Here we discuss trends and provide commentary on media and social justice issues, as well as our own personal life experiences. Now, going to make this very clear because we are again in the pandemic. This is a wear your mask, supporting, standing, loving, trusting Dr. Fauci podcast. Whenever you take your narrow ass outside, Wear <laughs> That's your, your mask. Thank Let the you. church say amen. Okay, so <laughs> so we are getting right into this. Jameer is going to be kicking us off with his topic this lovely episode. Jameer. Sure. So uh, I just feel like mental health conversations in the black community are happening. Just not really with the right people. It's the young college educated people who are paying thousands of dollars for therapists to somehow navigate the trauma that their families have really just inadvertently allowed into their homes. Those who now have the access for the help that they may have needed as children, but were often gaslit, you know, the ones who were most likely raised by parents so afraid that disobedience could be the reason that cops used to take us from the world, so they instead chose to beat it out of us before the cops could, or whatever Lauren Hill was saying on Instagram the other day. But... Honestly, that's funny because wait what? To, yeah, that's what she that's what she said about um her, her daughter. She was like, yeah, like I I had to beat you for the cops could and that like I don't know. It was a lot. It was a lot. Oh no. Yeah. See, this I'm, is why I'm, I say never meet your idols, yo. Yeah. <laughs> this is why. And then when people started dragging her, she made up she made up a whole other string of posts. Like we need to like I want to get on her Instagram, it, mid, like midway between us to actually bring some up. But yeah, it's kind of funny though, cause Tana Hesse oh, quotes he bring he brought up some very similar rhetoric rhetoric in his uh, book Between the World and Me. He said that because his dad grew up experiencing a crack era and was surrounded by so much black death, he felt like if his kids did anything wrong, he had to uh, he pretty much had to beat it out of them before the world did. And like I remember reading that in college and rereading it. A few nights ago and just thinking that's kind of uh i don't like i don't think that's that don't make sense to me that Damn. ain't it chief <laughs> it's not but i feel like a that lot ain't of it. i feel like a lot of people's parents follow like a similar viewpoint but yeah that being said i just want to know when exactly are the older generations going to start having these conversations surrounding mental health when are they going to start talking about their pain their trauma you know with qualified personnel Right now, I have so many friends seeking mental health professionals. It's to the point where we're actively looking for black ones. Again, the convos are happening, but not in a large enough way. I remember a few years ago, I was reading this poem to my dad. At this moment, I kind of forget what the poem was about. But after it, we had a conversation (laughs) about how a lot of the niggas that my dad really grew up with are probably battling some mental health or like some mental trauma from surviving things like the crack epidemic, for example. And how at least within his friend groups, niggas weren't really trying to seek help. Imagining, Mm -hmm. imagine witnessing entire neighborhoods like, for example, the Badlands in Philadelphia being inundated with death and drugs. And that just being a part of your daily life. Imagine being forced to watch your friends and family succumb to addiction. We, young blacks, are talking about stuff like mental health in ways that our parents may not have gotten a chance to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because we've kind of normalized these conversations, talking about safe spaces, talking about valuing your self-worth and stuff. And our parents did not grow up with that. No, I think that a large part of that, from what I always end up hearing, is the whole um, accessibility aspect, Mm. where it's like, our parents' generation didn't grow up with everybody going to college. Our generation did. So then, like, for us, we're able to say, I need a therapist, or I, um, I'm i having anxiety, or I'm being gas. Like, we know the terminology to say what is happening to us. Where our parents, mm-hmm. I feel like they didn't, they, I, I feel like some of the terms were there, but I feel like they didn't utilize it the same way. And also culture it was just different like it's like 
do I take care of my family or do I worry about my anxiety? And it's like now, nowadays we're able to be like, I can do both. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like for our parents, Sometimes it's we'll, like, we'll you worry, see, we start worrying about other people's anxiety too. Right. And I, I just feel like for, for what I understood of like our parents' generation, it's, it's always been more like people were just doing drugs. And I'm like, what? It's like, wait, what? And it's like, yep, this kid I grew up with, he OD'd. Or, like, this girl I knew, she was just high all the time. And I'm like, and nobody asked, like, yo, you okay, sis? Like, you okay, bro? And they just make it seem like that's normal. Yeah. Those were the times. Like, you don't think that's changed your outlook on life? Witnessing people strung out on the streets? Right. Right. Like, I think I went to Starbucks the other day. They messed up my order. That I was mad at them. I was mad for them. Like, whatever anger I had that day lasted until, like, right now. So, just, <laughs> just like, imagine. Wait, just, what is that? Like, what is that called? Neurotypicals and neuroatypicals? <laughs> I don't know the word, but people keep using it now. <laughs> there is, that reminds like, me of the show Atypical on Netflix. Yeah, I think it's neurotypical. Yeah, it's like the way that your brain would normally process something. Well, it's like people say, um, people who, like when you tell them, oh, I'm going through something bad, and then they share their story, and you're just like, there's people who read it as like, you're taking away from my problem, mm-hmm. and then there's other people who read it like, oh, you're relating to me, because you too have been in some kind of similar situation where you've felt the emotional impact that I'm kind of going through. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it, I think it said something about like, the normal, typical brain, whatever. I don't really know all the terminology and don't hold me accountable to it. But well, I, we're I, learning. You're right. It is all a learning experience. But I think, too, like with our parents' generation, it was a very different case of understanding the language or how things worked. Yeah, for sure. And now that kind of like brings into my questions. So do you think it's too late for our parents to seek counseling? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. You don't think Them like once they reach need some 45, help. <laughs> it's like it's, it's over? Like, Them niggas no need no some help. Okay, I, I do joke a lot. I do joke a lot and be like, once that frontal lobe is developed, you are who you are. But no, I think <laughs> our parents absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so weird because like I talk to my mom and like she's very much open to like counseling is something that's needed or like people need to go to therapy. And... I feel like if you push it to, like, my grandma's generation, if you say that to somebody, then they're like, oh, they're one of those people that wear the white suits and hugging themselves. And it's like, no. It's like going to therapy is just so you can actually, like, get your mind right, you know? Whereas, mm-hmm. like, I think, it's a, I think it's a huge stigma behind it. So it's not a matter of is it too late for our parents to go. It's like, will our parents go? Will they take their mm-hmm. asses? Because what do they think of, what do they even think of, like, counseling or mental health? Or, like, how do, how do you, how do you even get to the point of, like, wow, I've been dealing with, like, this thing my whole life and surviving and making it work. And I have kids who I've raised. And now it's like, why the fuck would I go to therapy? It's like, I already made it this far. But I don't think it's too late for them. Yeah. Absolutely not. It's like, I made it this far without any help. But it's like. Yeah, you made it this far without any help and you were struggling. You were mad at the world. Like, don't you think that, like, now is the time to actually talk about your problems with people outside, the maybe the pastor and your friends? I don't know about no pastors, but sure. I don't know, like, (laughs) at least for my family, we try to, I feel like everything is, since we're, like, fairly religious, like, a lot of, problems that probably were due to mental health we try to like push on like seeking god and stuff like that which i definitely think is perfect oh not perfect i definitely think that's like you know reasonable but also it's like you can seek god and seek a medical professional i mean i mm, this is my thought here i i think i think yes if you're close to religion and like it's important to you sure 
if it's if it's going to be something that's just a simple like hey i'm feeling anxious about this thing or um i want to talk about my day or i need to break down like why did i respond this way something very i think a little bit more mm, what's the word i'm looking for not something not as heavy Cause mm-hmm. I think my 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 main hesitation with like the whole like go seek your pastor is I don't I don't want to hear call on Jesus to pray it away. No, because a lot of these mental illnesses are helped through like medication, not mm. prayer. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like and it's nothing and like it's nothing against religion, nothing against God. It's just like I kind of come from the school of God plopped us here. And now it's like, man, he gave you the tools to to even get the the medication yeah, we got, that we you gotta needed. Do what we gotta like, do what you, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what else you want, people? Like, the medication wouldn't exist <laughs> if he didn't make it. And right. So, and that's my thing. I just like I don't like the idea of going to somebody who's not like a trained like it. You study the Bible, you don't study neurology. <laughs> they're two very different things they're just two very different things you got me and I there and I feel like Jesus is probably sitting on the sidelines like stop asking me for stuff <laughs> well, I gave, I gave man the tools I gave y'all niggas the tools <laughs> you're asking me for stuff I already gave alright <laughs> so why do you think mental health is often trivialized within the black community? Or at least people who are struggling with mental health in the black community. It seems like a lot of their pain and stuff is uh, you want me, disregarded. You want me to give my thoughts? Because it's going to go right back to Jesus and religion. <laughs> sure, let me hear. <laughs> I Honestly, I just feel like, I feel like somewhere along the lines, niggas just fell under the belief that like, the meek shall inherit the earth. And like, I feel like that's the, the black proverb that I just always heard growing up. And it's like, okay, thanks for confirming that from white Jesus. Sure. But it's like, if you had, if you had a, it like, if you, if you had ADHD, black parents were like, sit your ass down. <laughs> and it's like, yo, like, no, this, this person needs to clearly get their energy out. And like, get medical help or it's like oh i'm depressed and it's like you depressed go clean that room or pray mm-hmm. to god and you it's depressed like, no go, de- go no, depress the dishes <laughs> go depress the like, clothes for church nah. it's like that's not the answer i need but like, it mm-hmm. but I now listen like a lot listen, of that definitely me... is coming from like i feel like they were raised like that and then they took those yeah. same tools and then they tried to like Use them again, but it's like you, you know knew what? it was a problem when you was raised like you that. know what you it know what is. Saying? Yeah, no, I I don't think, th- but that's the thing. I don't think people realize that it's a, always a problem, or they're just some people who are masochists and they're just like, you know what, I suffer, so I want my kid to suffer. But like, see, I wasn't personally raised like that. Like, my mom has always v- very much been like, all right, we need to talk this out. Like, if you got a vent, you got a vent. Like, if you got a get a therapist, get a therapist, if you could afford it, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in that dynamic of like, like my, my parents have always raised us and like, we don't owe them anything. It's like anything that happens to like, to, to us, like my mom, especially she takes it like personally where she's just like, something happened to my kid. That's my fault. And it's like, no, I'm just an adult and I'm going through life. But I feel like for a, a lot of people that I've spoken to before, it the I, the concepts around mental health within the older generations, it's it really does stem back to either you can pray it away and talk to the pastor. They don't have the language to actually identify the issue that is going on, or they feed into like white supremacist bullshit that's like. Y'all niggas ain't depressed. Y'all just lazy. <laughs> it's like, wait. You're like, what? Are you serious? It's like, yo. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry that my brain is, <laughs> it's like, currently malfunctioning. Excuse me. Like, and then, and then you like get purpose. into the weeds. Yeah, right. And then you get into the weeds of like when people are like, 
uh, I'm a highly functioning depressed person or something. It's like, mm, still sounds depressed to me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like if you don't fit the standard of like capitalist or, or, uh, don't be a lazy black person. Then it's a, then it's like, I don't know what to do with your mental illness. Please get away from me. It's like, if your mental illness looks packaged well, then people are like, oh, that's mental illness. I stand with you. Like, are you sure? And then when mil- when mental illness comes messy and doesn't have an actual round peg square hole, people are like, I don't know what to do with you. Go pray it away and get on my face. That's probably my number one why it gets trivialized the way that it does. I mean, but like, I what are you? With that. Okay, okay. But like, what has your experience been with that? Because mine has been. A mixed bag for why people see mental illness the way that they do, especially in the black community, which is so sad because I feel like we the niggas that need it the most. Like we like deal with so much like, shit. We've adopted this um pull like pull yourself up from the bootstrap theory. Like we feel like, oh well, I struggled and I went through pain and I have heartache and hardships and stuff and I'm I still go to work and I still do this and do that. And then, like, when we see, like, other people who are like, oh, well, I can't because, like, you, I can't hold a real job because, um, like, I have this mental element. We're like, you can't just fight through that. You can't just start up because we have no, mm-hmm. of course, we have no real perception of what that's like. Or when yeah. we see people. But also, too, even that, that still even runs into the whole, like, and I hate this. This is why I, I am who I am. Whenever I see those posts when people are like, show why you support or like write why you love black women. And I'd be like, I purposely always say, and do not use the words strong. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Because like niggas just run to that and I'm like, stop it. So definitely you're not it. strong. But see, that's the thing. It's like. Black women put up with so much shit and we found so many different like coping mechanisms to like survive that when mental illness does pop up on our door, we're like, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, like, can't, people are like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> it's yeah, like, like I, you're not I, strong enough to like power through it. Like how much space do we really provide as black people? How much space do we really provide each other to just be like, today I'm not okay. And I feel like when we do say that people be like, wait a minute. I don't know what to do with this. Because every day I'm not okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that we don't really open up. We don't really leave enough space for people to not be okay. Like, Yeah. It's funny. So I, I was talking to a friend about this. I was like, uh, like, you ever ask someone, how was your day? You know, they, they usually say, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. And stuff. I always say that. And like... Mm-hmm. I remember I was talking to someone and I had asked them how their day was. They were like, oh, it was terrible. Da, 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 da. I'm like, ooh, I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> I was not prepared. Like, like, I'm not used to talking. Like, I ask the same thing every other day. And it's always, I'm fine, good. Things went slow. Mm-hmm. It's never terrible. Like, is is everything all right down there? You, you, you eating you, good? Yeah. I, seriously? Like, I didn't know how to I... respond. Like, I think within the past, like, year or so, I've tried to be more deliberate about when people ask me that. Now, granted, there's two different ways I deal with people. Because people that I don't want to engage in conversation with, I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine. But, like, it's my friends or something. And they're just like, yo, how you doing? So I'm like, I- I'll be honest. But then, like, I find that, like, the response is always, like, people's face literally is like, I don't know what to do with that. And they're like, oh, that's crazy. That's, Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna go get on out of here. <laughs> yeah, because I feel so uncomfortable. Like, and I know that's bad. Well, I usually only feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable when it's people that I don't. We not on that level yet. Yeah. And you like, Ooh. and that's why that's why I pick and choose who I be like. I'm good to. <laughs> yeah, like you gotta, you gotta think that out a little like, bit. Like, nah. But also, I think that you like before you like push all your baggage on to, like, your friend or whatever, you should ask if they're, like, prepared. Be like, yo, like, can I talk to you about something serious? Like, yeah, because some people will just, like, 
Yeah, so I'll be like, how was your day? I'll be like, all right, so did I tell you that? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, damn. Like, you could have. You could have let me know I need to sit down before reading this. It's like my <laughs> my back hurts, my heart is aching for people that I don't know. But yeah, I guess it's time to get into your next segment, right? On short stories. Oh. Yes. Okay, so this short story that I'm reading today, uh I think it's one of the more well-known ones. So, if you haven't heard it, I hope you like it. If you have heard it, I hope you like the sound of my voice. <laughs> okay, so this is she called has a pretty voice. The Lottery. Thank you, thank you. Let me get my voiceover acting on, you know. Okay, so this story is called The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. The morning of June 27th was clear and sunny, with the fresh warmth of a full summer day. The flowers were blossoming profusely, and the grass was richly green. The people of the village began to gather in the square, between the post office and the bank, around 10 o'clock. In some towns, there were so many people that the lottery took two days and had to be started on June 26th. In this village, there were only about 300 people. The whole lottery took less than two hours, so it could begin at 10 o'clock in the morning and still be through in time to allow the villagers to get home for noon dinner. The children assembled first, of course. School was recently over for the summer, and the feeling of liberty sat uneasily on most of them, They tended to gather together quietly for a while before they broke into boisterous play, and their talk was still of the classroom and the teacher, of books and reprimands. Bobby Martin had already stuffed his pockets full of stones, and the other boys soon followed his example, selecting the smoothest and roundest stones. Bobby and Harry Jones and Dickie Delacroix, the villagers pronounced this name Delacroix, eventually made a great pile of stones in one corner of the square and guarded it against the raids of the other boys. The girls stood aside, talking amongst themselves, looking over their shoulder at the boys, and the very small children rolled in the dust or clung to the hands of their older brothers or sisters. Soon the men began to gather, surveying their own children. Speaking of planting and rain, tractors and taxes, they stood together, away from the pile of stones in the corner, and their jokes were quiet and they smiled rather than laughed. The women, wearing faded house dresses and sweaters, came shortly after their menfolk, They greeted one another and changed bits of gossip as they went to join their husbands. Soon the women, standing by their husbands, began to call their children, and the children came reluctantly, having to be called four or five times. Bobby Martin ducked under his mother's grasping hand and ran, laughing, back to the pile of stones. His father spoke up sharply, and Bobby came quickly and took his place between his father and his oldest brother. The lottery was conducted. As were the square dances, the teen club, the Halloween program, by Mr. Summers, who had time and energy to devote to civic activities. He was a round-faced, jovial man, and he ran the coal business, and people were sorry for him because he had no children and his wife was a scold. When he arrived in the square, carrying the black wooden box, there was a murmur of conversation amongst the villagers, and he waved and called, Little late today, folks. The postmaster, Mr. Graves, followed him, carrying a three-legged stool, and the stool was put in the center of the square and Mr. Summers set the black box down on it. The villagers kept their distance, leaving a space between themselves and the stool, and when Mr. Summers said, some of you fellows want to give me a hand, there was a hesitation before two men, Mr. Martin and his oldest son, Baxter, came forward to hold the box steady on the stool while Mr. Summers stirred up the papers inside it. The original paraphernalia for the lottery had been lost long ago, and the black box now resting on the stool had been put into use even before old man Warner, the oldest man in town, was born. Mr. Summers spoke frequently to the villagers about making a new box, but no one liked to upset even as much tradition as was represented by the black box. There was a story that the present box had been made with some pieces of the box that had preceded it. The one that had been constructed when the first people settled down to make a village here, Every year, after the lottery, Mr. Summers began talking again about a new box, but every year, the subject was allowed to fade off without any things being done. The black box grew shabbier each year, by now it was no longer completely black, but splintered badly along one side to show the original wood color, and in some places, faded or stained. 
Mr. Martin and his oldest son, Baxter, held the black box securely on the stool until Mr. Summers had stirred the papers thoroughly with his hand. Because so many of the ritual had been forgotten or discarded, Mr. Summers had been successful in having slips of paper substituted for the chips of wood that had been used for generations. Chips of wood, Mr. Summers had argued, had been all very well when the village was tiny. But now that the population was more than 300 and likely to keep growing, it was necessary to use something that would fit more easily into the black box. The night before the lottery, Mr. Summers and Mr. Graves made up the slips of paper and put them in the box, and it was then taken to the safe of Mr. Summers Coal Company and locked up until Mr. Summers was ready to take it to the square the next morning. The rest of the year, the box was put away, sometimes one place, sometimes another, it has spent one year in Mr. Graves' barn and another year underfoot in the post office, and sometimes it was set on a shelf in the Martin grocery and left there. There was a great deal of fussing to be done before Mr. Summers declared the lottery open. There were the list to make up, the heads of families, heads of household in each family, member of each household in each family. There were the proper swearing-in of Mr. Summers by the postmaster as the official of the lottery. At one time, some people remembered, there had been a ritual of some sort, performed by the official of the lottery, a perfunctory, tuneless chant that had been rattled off duly each year. Some people believe that the official of the lottery used to stand just so when he said or sang it. Others believed that he was supposed to walk among the people. But years and years ago, this part of the ritual had been allowed to lapse. There had been also a ritual salute, which the official of the lottery had had to use in addressing each person who came up to draw from the box. But this also had changed with time. Until now, it was felt necessary only for the official to speak to each person approaching. Mr. Summers was very good at all this. In his clean white shirt and blue jeans, with one hand resting carelessly on the black box, he seemed very proper and important as he talked intermittently to Mr. Graves and the Martins. Just as Mr. Summers finally left off talking and turned to the assembled villagers, Mrs. Hutchinson came hurriedly along the path to the square, her sweater thrown over her shoulder and slid into place in the back of the crowd. Clean forgot what day it was, she said to Mrs. Delacroix, who stood next to her, and they both laughed softly. Thought my old man was out back stacking wood, Mrs. Hutchinson went on, and then I looked out the window and the kids were gone, and then I remembered it was the 27th and came a-running. She dried her hands on her apron, and Mrs. Delacroix said, You're in time, though. They're still talking away up there. Mrs. Hutchinson craned her neck to see through the crowd and found her husband and children standing near the front. She tapped Mrs. Delacroix on the arm as a farewell and began to make her way through the crowd. The people separated good-humoredly to let her through. Two or three people said, in voices just loud enough to be heard across the crowd, Here comes your Mrs. Hutchinson. And Bill, she made it after all. Mrs. Hutchinson reached her husband, and Mr. Summers, who had been waiting, said cheerfully, Thought we were going to have to get on without you, Tessie, Mrs. Hutchinson said, grinning. Wouldn't have me leave my dishes in the sink now, would you, Joe? And soft laughter ran through the crowd as the people stirred back into position after Mrs. Hutchinson's arrival. Well now, Mr. Summers said soberly, guess we better get started. Get this over with so's we can go back to work. Anybody ain't here? Dunbar! Several people said, Dunbar, Dunbar. Mr. Summers consulted his list. Clyde Dunbar, he said. That's right. He's broke his leg, hasn't he? Who's drawing for him? Me, I guess, a woman said. As Mr. Summers turned to look at her, wife draws for her husband. Mr. Summers said, Don't you have a grown boy to do it for you, Janie? Although Mr. Summers and everybody else in the village knew the answer perfectly well, it was the business of the official of the lottery to ask such questions formally. Mr. Summers waited with an expression of polite interest while Mrs. Dunbar answered. Horace is not but sixteen yet, Mrs. Dunbar said regretfully. Guess I gotta fill in for the old man this year. Right, Mr. Summers said. He made a note on the list he was holding. Then he asked, Watson boy drawing this year? A tall boy in the crowd raised his hand. Here, he said, I'm drawing from my mother and me. He blinked his eyes nervously and ducked his head as several voices in the crowd said things like, Good fellow, Jack, and glad to see your mother's got a man to do it. Well, Mr. Summers said, guess that's everyone. Old man Warner make it? Here, a voice said, and Mr. Summers nodded. A sudden hush fell in the crowd as Mr. Summers cleared his throat and looked at the list. Already, he called. Now, I'll read the names. Heads of families first 
and the men come up and take a paper out of the box. Keep the paper folded in your hand without looking at it until everyone has had a turn. Everything clear? The people had done it so many times that they had half listened to the directions. Most of them were quiet, wetting their lips, not looking around. Then Mr. Summers raised one hand high and said, Adams. A man disengaged himself from the crowd and came forward. Hi, Steve. Mr. Summers said, and Mr. Adams said, Hi, Joe. They grinned at one another humorlessly and nervously. Then Mr. Adams reached into the black box and took out a folded paper. He held it firmly by one corner as he turned and went hastily back to his place in the crowd, where he stood a little apart from his family, not looking down at his hand. Alan, Mr. Summers said. Anderson? Bentham? Seems like there's no time at all between lotteries anymore, Mrs. Delacroix said to Mrs. Graves in the back row. Seems like we got through the last one only last week. Time sure goes fast, Mrs. Graves said. Clark? Delacroix? There goes my old man, Mrs. Delacroix said. She held her breath while her husband went forward. Dunbar? Mr. Summers said, and Mrs. Dunbar went steadily to the box while one of the women said, Go on, Janie. And another said, There she goes. We're next, Mrs. Graves said. She watched Mr. Graves come around from the side of the box, greeted Mr. Summers gravely, and selected a slip of paper from the box. By now, all through the crowd, there were men holding the small folded papers in their large hand, turning them over and over nervously. Mrs. Dunbar and her two sons stood together, Mrs. Dunbar holding the slip of paper. Herbert? Hutchinson? Get up there, Bill, Mrs. Hutchinson said, and the people near her laughed. Jones? They do say, Mr. Adams said to old man Warner, who stood next to him, that over in the North Village they're talking of giving up the lottery. Old man Warner snorted. Pack of crazy fools, he said, listening to the young folks. Nothing good enough for them. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody work anymore. Live hat way for a while. Used to be a saying about lottery in June, corn be heavy soon. First thing you know, we'd be all eating stewed chickweeds and acorns. There's always been a lottery, he added petulantly. Bad enough to see young Joe Summers up there joking with everybody. Some places have already quit lotteries, Mrs. Adams said. Nothing but trouble in that, old man Warner said stoutly. Pack of young fools. Martin and Bobby Martin watched his father go forward. Overdyke? Percy? I wish they'd hurry, Mrs. Dunbar said to her oldest son. I wish they'd hurry. They're almost through, her son said. You get ready to run tell dad, Mrs. Dunbar said. Mr. Summers called his own name and then stepped forward precisely and selected a slip from the box. Then he called Warner. Seventy-seven years, and I've been in the lottery, old man Warner said as he went through the crowd. Seventy-seventh time. Watson, the tall boy, came awkwardly through the crowd. Someone said, don't be nervous, Jack. And Mr. Summer said, take your time, son. Zanini. After that, there was a long pause, a breathless pause, until Mr. Summers, holding his slip of paper in the air, said, all right, fellows. For a minute, no one moved and then all the slips of paper were opened. Suddenly, all the women began to speak at once, saving, Who is it? Who's got it? Is it the Dunbars? Is it the Watsons? Then the voices began to say, It's Hutchinson! It's Bill! Bill Hutchinson's got it! Go tell your father, Mrs. Dunbar said to her older son. People began to look around to see the Hutchinsons. Bill Hutchinson was standing quiet, staring down at the paper in his hand. Suddenly, Tessie Hutchinson shouted to Mrs. Summers, you didn't give him enough time to take any paper he wanted. I saw you. It wasn't fair. Be a good sport, Tessie, Mrs. Delacroix called. And Mrs. Graves said, all of us took the same chance. And that's the story. You can check out the rest of this story as I will be posting the PDF link, um, as I do with all the other links. Um, I think it's a great read, so I hope you enjoy the rest of it. I think I heard that one before. I'm pretty sure. It's like a it's like a well-known one. Okay, so now we're going to get into my topic. Here we go. So today I'm talking about toxic masculinity and its relationship to mental health. I'm also going to be looking at some ways to combat it too. So before y'all come in my inbox telling me I hate men, check yourselves. <laughs> so Them, the publication, recently published or posted an article called Toxic homophobic men more likely to have mental health issues, study finds. 
It's one of those things, in my opinion, where you see the thing, but you need a study to confirm it. In the article, it discusses how men not only harm everyone around them with their stereotypical and anti-LGBT views of masculinity, but also how they harm themselves. In one example, it points out that some toxic masculinity members are rejecting the idea of wearing a mask because it will emasculate them. I know, utterly confusing to me too. Is this why they say the future is female? <laughs> it goes on Wait, to confirm higher... What? So you said the men are saying that they don't want to wear a mask because it might emasculate them? Yes. That's an actual hot take or study find that men believe that wearing a mask will emasculate them in some way. My uh, boss has said something like that. And I was like, yeah, I can Sound dumb as hell. Oh, I can see some men saying, yeah, I can see some men saying dumb shit like that. (laughs) It goes on to confirm higher rates of depression, suicide, and bullying slash aggressive behaviors in these men. Yikes. Yikes on bikes. So, what does this mean for people in close proximity to these toxic masculinity supporters? I don't know. I don't know. People who have to deal with toxic masculinity, especially in the pandemic, I I don't know what this means for y'all. But I got some questions. So my first question is, where does toxic masculinity stem from? And how do you think we can ask people to seek out mental health professionals when we see it? So you said, where does toxic masculinity stem from? Yeah. How so- do you... How do we get to how do we get to the point of raising people who are toxic? So I think uh, masculinity, in its essence, can be seen as uh, toxic. It's kind of like how people say that um, all white people are like racist until like proven anti-racist. I kind of sort of agree with masculinity, and its essence is uh, toxic, at least from. I want to. I really would like to say from a Western perspective, but toxic masculinity isn't just something in America, or just something in Europe, or just something like we find it in Ghana, for example. So I think that mm-hmm. a, for for us, I think a big part of it is tied to. Uh, well, I'll talk about for black men at least. I believe that like black men. Well, a lot of the perceptions around masculinity in reference to black men weren't created by black men. They were actually created by, like, white people. Mainly, like, during the time periods after, uh, like, mainly during the time periods after Reconstruction. Like, at first we were seen as, like, property and stuff like that, right? And, like, we didn't have emotions and we uh, we didn't need to eat as much as white people. We didn't have dreams. These are all things that, like, Thomas Jefferson yeah. said in his, uh, he has, like, published notes where he has, like, all of these sayings about black people and how any pain that we feel is ephemeral. Like, this isn't to say that, like, there aren't black men who are violent, who, um, you like, this isn't to say that we don't play into those stereotypes and stuff that we, that were created for us. But I definitely do think it's important to note that, like, some, uh, I feel like some men, some black men especially, we just kind of subsist within the confines of like masculinity that were kind of crafted before we were even born. And so did our parents and their parents. I'll say this. I don't look at toxic masculinity only within the scope of race. Like this, men are toxic. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I can only really talk about the experience of a black man. Well, I'm going to talk about the experience of all men are toxic. I said it. <laughs> all men. And that's my thing, too. Like, I hate when people are like, not all men. And I'm like, listen, listen, listen. When somebody says something that is a, a generalized statement, like, if they're just like, men are trash. When I hear men rebuttal with not all men, that internalizes to me that you think you are the non-trash person. And if you think that you are the non-trash person, then you're never going to go correct the issues of the trash. And the problem that I face with that is then everybody thinks that they're the non-trash person and then nobody's claiming to be trash. But yet here is 
The waste man. The trash. <laughs> Here it is. For I like sure. I don't I just I've never met the men. I've never met the men who have literally just come up and been like, you know what, I am trash. That's me. I'm working <laughs> on it. They never say that shit. They're always like, not all men. Not me. I'm a nice guy. And it's like, what would you do if you just accepted that you were trash today? Would you work towards changing it? Hmm. But I think my thing more so, not just to say black men, what I am asking, where does this toxic masculinity stem from? I, I think it I think it's really about that it's everyone being like well it's not me well it's not me it's like well it gotta be fucking somebody and just assume that it's you how about you do how about you just take the the wild notion and just say you know that might be me right but like so like initially i used to be like yo like girls like yeah niggas ain't shit and like we just see that stuff all day just be inundated with those messages and then it's like yo at a certain point i'm gonna start faulting you for like well, not fault you, but like, so all the niggas that you met just ain't shit. Like, you ain't meet one nigga that's shit. Like, like at a certain no, point, it's like. No, I'm, you know what? I have another rebuttal for that one, too. Because I I made it, I, I don't know if you saw my posts about the whole Twitter thread with the, when it was like, men only give women dating advice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I like that. Okay, no, 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 no. So it was on Twitter and it said men only give women dating advice. And as I scrolled, I was hoping to find stuff that would be like, oh, when you guys go on the date, compliment him if he's wearing, compliment his tie if he's wearing a tie. Or, hey, make sure you compliment his beard. He worked really hard on that. Or look in his eyes when you're talking. Look, wait, wait. Look at look in his eyes when he's talking to you. I thought it was going to be shit like that. No, you know, we got inundated with. If he stops right. texting you and starts ghosting, you don't pay attention to him. If he doesn't make time for you and he's talking to multiple people, then all these, it, literally all the advice was for how women can avoid a predator. And I was like, so well, is it a, the not all men or is it all men? A predator is the right word to use though. Some of the commentary was around predatory behavior, toxic men okay. as well. It, it it was a whole fucking thread. I was literally scrolling for hours. Now, granted, I will only give it this. People probably saw it and they were like, well, everybody else is going this direction, so I'm going to comment in the same kind of fashion. I don't know. But I can be sure that a large part of that thread was how to avoid toxic men. That was the dating advice, how to avoid toxic men. And then somebody, some guy went ahead and was like, women only, give fellas some dating advice. And the women's thread was literally a... It, now, granted, it had a mixed bag, but there were ones that were like, yo, if she wears a dress, like, make sure you compliment her or, like, big her up and say stuff like this or take her out and get her flowers. She's going to still like it or this, that, and the third. Or if she's if she's sometimey with you, she's texting some, she might be texting somebody else. Move on, bro. Like, read the sign. It was a mix of, like, things you should actually do for that person to keep them engaged while dating as well as things you can do to protect yourself. The entire men one was all around how to protect yourself. And it was like, so wait a minute, y'all all know that y'all homeboys is out here being toxic. Y'all <laughs> all know this key symbols of toxicity. Are y'all checking these niggas? Are y'all telling these niggas, stop being problematic. Leave her alone, bro. Are y'all doing that? And then I hear shit like fathers and sons and brothers and uncles all want to be stay away from these men these men ain't nothing but trouble these men only want one thing and then you'd be like you know men are trash i agree with y'all and they'd be like oh, not all men it's like nigga you just told me the men are trash <laughs> what you mean it's like which is but it i know I, I definitely do agree that people are like oh it's not me it's not me but i also feel like like i re- so on twitter there's a few phrases that i just muted because I just got tired of seeing like crazy stuff, so like I think I muted black men. I uh, <laughs> muted normalize. I muted. I muted. Um, it was like, bumbaclot, and like you know stuff like that. Cause like, I so like I definitely do agree on the critiques and stuff. I do, like niggas they gotta tighten up and for and that's in like a plethora of avenues, <laughs> meetings. It's the truth. But it's also like, I didn't get on Twitter to like be shitted on all day. 
Like when y'all talk and about you don't niggas, deserve, and that's my thing. You don't deserve to be, and that that's my issue. And I, I and I do question. I do absolutely question. Do men also see themselves as toxic due to the to the backlash? Right, like you can also be like, okay, maybe like I feel like maybe we are trash. Because, but I feel well, like that. Say some men. Like it's not no, it's like, because that's my see. Man. No, that's my like, issue. I'm when, a man. when you hear, I don't. I know when you hear. You. Let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be real here. If I said, or if women, or whatever, if 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 we said, some men are trash. How many niggas are really going to admit that they are the trash niggas versus the non? I need all y'all to believe that y'all are trash, so you do the work to not be trash. And when okay. you stop being trash, then we will stop calling you trash. And the, the thing, thing is, is too, never it's not going to hit a hundred percent of like niggas. But y'all niggas not even at ninety though. Y'all not even we at not, ninety we, though. For we we're not going to get. But the thing is, don't group me with them niggas. I don't know them niggas. Like, but but this is okay. But Jameer, but Jameer, let's be real here. Let's be real here. For the amount of times that you've heard somebody be like, men are trash, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you've heard people say this outright to you, right? Mm-hmm. When you are not doing trash things or, or, and we know what trash means colloquially. When you are not doing those things, how many times does somebody blatantly look at you dead in the face and be like, you are trash? This never happened. That's why yeah, that's I my the point. Phrase. That's my point. I needed the phrase like if it doesn't I, pertain no to you interacting with Yeah, like it's no point in me interacting in conversations that have nothing to do with me. I know I'm not trash. That's but true. I, I but like you I'm also still trash. need to check if you but you also still need to be open to checking to not being trash. Like the commentary oh, yeah, is for the people who are trash. And the people mm-hmm. who run and be like, not all men. Just say, just say something. My thing is, if your, if your disdain hinges on someone being like, just say some. If that is the, the whole part of your feeling of anger or othering or any like thing like that, if the word some is the issue, I don't feel like your, your problems are that, that high, sir. Like there, there are, there are people dying out here. Like where, where where certain things just cannot be said or cannot be done because that puts their life at risk. Me saying some men are trash. You still get to go about your day and live in a nice bubble of the patriarchy. That literally has changed nothing of your day. But me saying men are trash. Now you got to key in and be like, wait a minute. You put me with them niggas. <laughs> it's like, okay, see now you're now you're going to be involved here. Now you're gonna That's why instead you. of like interacting with it, I'd rather just like again. I I don't I only see them. Uh, I only see those types of tweets on like my second Twitter. You mean the one where you're like, not toxic? <laughs> I'm not toxic on my real Twitter. Like I just my thing. I feel like on Twitter, a lot of people feel like um. Well, this is this is like not even talking about the men thing, but yeah, like I feel like a lot of people be starting those like gender wars and yeah diaspora war. they be starting that on purpose they be like oh it's boring oh i'm bored okay yeah so if <laughs> i'm a you dating a man niggas. and he can't pimp and he he don't spend 555 dollars on the first date that he's ugly and broke she's toxic and and then like all the girls be like mm-hmm, amen yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then the guys be like wait are y'all serious and then be like yes are you ugly and broke you don't have 555 dollars <laughs> for the first date that's something like, and like you see the comments and you like, yo, these women are t- like, yo, if I judged like Whew. all women based on like just my interactions with women on Twitter for most of them, like, yo, I like, like, I can't, like, I can't even like put like words to that. Like, yo, like girls be on Twitter wilding or like a guy will DM y'all when y'all saying, hey. And then y'all put the screenshot up like, why is this nigga so thirsty? Like, <laughs> girl, like I just feel like Listen, I'm not, just I'm, so not saying, I'm not saying I'm not saying that women can't also be toxic. I never said that. But the abundance Listen, oh, the, no, the I difference agree. here it's no the niggas. difference here the difference here too, y'all have also had years to be toxic. Like only within like the last mm, fifty or so responding. years did women like, did women really like, get the right to start the calling y'all between, niggas out. I feel like it's the difference between <laughs> 
on Twitter, we was talking about the, um, the difference between bullying and oppression. So, like, let's say, um, mm-hmm. you, like, let's say you're in high school, right, or middle school, and they was, like, calling, they was, like, the, to the light-skinned girl, oh, you're not black, oh, you're not this, oh, you're not that. Because, like, people actually did that to light-skinned girls in high school, I remember. And then, like, like years later, light-skinned girls on Twitter, like, yeah, like, that's colorism because y'all attacked me for my skin color. Y'all said I wasn't black. And, and I'm like, yeah, like, you did get bullied, but that's not, I don't think that's the same thing as colorism. Like, colorism is stopping dark-skinned men and women from, like, moving mm-hmm. up in the world. It's stopping us from getting jobs. Most of the people that's getting shot by the cops and stuff are dark-skinned men and men, women, dark brown skin. So it's like, yeah, like, that bullying, like, the bullying was real. And we need to call them niggas out for saying that you wasn't black enough mm-hmm. or whatever. Because who, who are they? True. The black police. Race doesn't, race True. isn't real. Like, it has real-world implications, but it's not, like... True. It's not something tangible. So, like, I like, I... But at that same point, it's like, yo, even though, like, you had that harsh experience and because you were light-skinned and stuff, that doesn't mean that you face colorism. And it's okay to admit that. Like, I agree. You, no. And I feel like it's the same... Like, even though I'm having this conversation with you, I'm well aware of the fact that, like, misandry is not real. Yes, there are toxic women. Yes, yes, there are malicious women, evil women. There's all types of women, just like there's all types of men. But men have like systematically oppressed women. Men, even if it wasn't a black man. Yes. Like, like even if it wasn't yes. a black man who created those roles, who created that those gender norms and stuff, it like men have used their uh, used the hegemon the hegemony of male supremacy to like. Subjugate women. And then, like, going into the article you shared, we also use that oppression to oppress queer people as well. Like, yeah. we we, yeah. we want to feel that power that, like, white men have kept from us for so long that we end up oppressing people, even people within our own groups, so yeah, like I definitely think that toxic masculinity is real. I do not think that misandry is real. I do think there's toxic girls and stuff, and I also believe that like sure is. the thing with the not all men rhetoric, even like even though like I like was playing around with you and stuff, it's still like it doesn't matter. Like this girl can get on your nerves on Twitter. On, that's why I blocked the I blocked the phrases. This girl can get on your Twitter, get on Twitter, and get on your nerves and stuff, but you still have more power than her. And she can make that as part. many little jokes as, ha ha, la, la, la. yeah, mm, that's why that you part. broke, because you can't afford, mm-hmm. you still have more power than her. And it's like, that's the problem. The problem is that, that like, yeah, like don't, like, don't nobody care if, like, that girl got smart with you on Twitter. Like, just, we have more agency. And nothing she says on Twitter, nothing she says to your face can like take like can take away from that, which is sad. But that's why men have to be actively amplifying the voices of women instead of going back and forth, which uh, talk about some not all men. Spending more time on getting me to say some men than actually doing the, the due diligent work. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if y'all did say some men, sometimes it would be a little nicer. But I don't care about being we nice. Don't, we don't have to be when the patriarchy nice is crushing us. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't. I, I don't need to be nice to misogyny at all. So mm-hmm. I'm running it back to so because you answered my second question because my second question was when does toxic masculinity not encompass having other mental illnesses and is just associated with being an asshole? Because there's niggas out here, uh, along with this article that does uh, express the mental illnesses behind. How your toxic masculinity is really, it's fucking up your bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fucking up your bag. It's not, it's not only affecting the people around you. It's also fucking you up. But like, how many niggas really just be out here just to be toxic and got nothing else going on in the assholes? Also making the clear distinction here and now, you can still have I mental think illnesses really most and of them still be an asshole. Wrong. I feel like... Most niggas does that I've met in real life. Matter of fact, not even in real life. So on um Twitter today, right? 
we were talking about the whole Meg the Stein being a snitch thing, and I'm like, yo, like, yeah, she has no obligation to like protect that nigga. She was not no She's street black nigga, woman. not doing street nigga things. She just She's a black is black woman. and happened to, to be. We supposed to, yep, we supposed to always be ready to protect any everybody. And, yeah, okay. And I'm like, yo, hmm. like, and she protected him enough. He shot her. They was like, okay, and she snitched. I'm like, yep. how did she snitch? They were like, because she told the truth. I'm like, yo, <laughs> she, there's no code. Like, this is why, like, there's so many unsolved murders and stuff in Philadelphia now. It'd be niggas that's not even, like, wrapped up in that stuff, like, who will see people get shot and not say a damn thing. Like, I'm glad that she told what happened. Like, what What was going to happen if she didn't? That nigga was going to go off and do it to somebody else? Yeah, pretty much. And it's like, so, wait. I don't know. He called me like, so how was do like we... yeah, you a square, you a this, you a that. And I'm like, nigga. You a simp. You, bro. <laughs> you a simp. Yeah, you I'm a, a simp, simp because I think girls should, t- should talk to the cops after they get shot. This is exactly <laughs> why I'm voting for Kamala Harris. Lock y'all niggas up. I'm tired of this Kamala. Shit. Her name is Kamala Harris. <laughs> Wait, how did I say it? Kamala. You said you said Kamala Harris. You said something. It wasn't her name. <laughs> well, like I, I said it the the um, African American way. My my AAVE popped out. Anyway, my my main question encompassing all of this uh, with the whole toxic masculinity and how it relates to aggressive behavior, uh, anti-LGBT, depression, anxiety, and all these other things. How the hell do we get these niggas to go get the help they need? How do we get them to start unpacking oh, the issues I have that a good they idea have for that. with women? I feel like a lot of it has to, um, I feel like a lot of it is tied to like accessibility and like we need to be mm-hmm. introducing this to kids. We need to be introducing this to kids. Like, I feel like the first time you hear about a therapist or counselor should not be when you're in high school applying for colleges. I feel like we that need part? to um, we need to have more social workers and more therapists inside of schools to work with children as like you know they're growing, so it becomes more normalized. And then by the time they are adults, when it comes to uh, times when they have uh, like episodes or whatever, they know how to better cope with their anger. I agree. Also, and for like niggas that's grown now, I feel like it's really just putting the resources out there. So it's like using things like I feel like it's also putting the resources out there in a way that's like accessible. So maybe like uh, if a therapist was doing like something on Instagram live or something or like, I don't know, yeah. like I feel like throughout this pandemic, we've seen so many, uh, so many mental health experts put their, um, practices online. There so many yoga people putting their, uh, stuff online. So many, like there's resources online. These people don't have to like go too far out to find it. And now that the resources are out there, we need to like, Yo, it's self-help people on YouTube. I know that ain't the same thing as therapy, but it's a start. I feel like it's just the Something idea is... of making it yeah. normal. Yeah. So that leads me to my final, because I did say I would promise you guys some actual steps, too. So as promised, some man on the internet wrote a 10-point breakdown on how to combat toxic masculinity Again, all these links will always be provided, y'all. The articles that we read. So if you guys want to get your own thoughts on it, not just hear ours, you can read them and check them out. Um, anyway, in addition to these 10 steps, I still think a mental health professional should be sought. Just going to make that clear again. So one, of course. ways to end, 10 ways to end toxic masculinity. One, speak out. Two, kill the, quote, work in excess, no excuses, culture. Three, don't teach boys that they shouldn't express their emotions. Four, call out the trolls on Twitter perpetuating toxic thinking. Five, pay attention to the entertainment boys are consuming. Six, don't give up on people, including yourself. Seven, (laughs) boycott, (laughs) boycott 
toxic leakers. Eight, be open with other men. Nine, do nice gestures every day. And 10, realize it is a revolution. So with that, I think masculinity encompasses a lot more than being swole at the gym and yelling at people all day. Masculinity can also come as revolutionary and kind and approachable and fun and honest and all these other wonderful things. And I just feel like y'all just not taking advantage of that yet. Y'all spending too much time being problematic. That's just my two cents. Really problematic on the weekends. If that was Moving true, on to the Jameer's world would be segment. such a better place, wouldn't it? <laughs> Moving on to Jameer's segment. <laughs> okay, so um, in terms of like what I've been listening to recently, I've been playing a lot of the new Brandy album, B7, and I really must say... Brandy? It's arguably one of her top albums for sure. Just the vocals, the content, and even just the cover art have been keeping me through, keeping me going through the lockdown. So I'm not even going to lie with y'all right now. I have not listened to the album straight through. But that's because I love Brandy enough to know that I didn't have to do that. I just <laughs> cut one song on and put it on shuffle. Songs like <laughs> High Hills featuring her daughter Sarai, Borderline. I think another one is called Some Type of Oceans. I Like it's not coming to me right now. Which has, and uh, with Borderline, the video actually just came out. That was really dope, and she talks about mental health there. She actually has a song called Bipolar, which I really enjoyed. But my favorite song is Rather Be, which was co-written with uh, Victoria Monet, who just dropped her album Jaguar fairly recently, too. Those are some of the songs that stuck out during my my first few listens. Another thing I really wanted to get into was The Gift. So I've been given a gift. I never listened after falling in love with Black is King. Same. I've been getting more into Afro beats recently, and the songs on the album have been so refreshing to me. Songs Listen, like Burner Boy Move Forever on repeat. So I don't know about Burner, Burner Boy. Boy I can't get into <gasps> his. I like Maliki Bear, Malik Berry. Wait, you didn't like African Giant? Well, ah! I I haven't listened to that one, but like. I listened to some of his music before and it felt like a little overly produced. I mean, it is, but like, that's because he got a lot stronger connections now. Oh, that's true. Damn. I'm, I'm going to check. Damn. I'm going to check. Niggas can't the, elevate no more. I'm going to check it out. Because like, I, I got a lot of. album that just came out. Yeah. I, like, it it's just, really just came out. Diddy gave him a shadow on Twitter. But and yeah, like good. songs like Mood Forever, Keys to the Kingdom, Already, so Especially in Spirit. Have been on repeat since last week. I don't know why it took me seeing the film to really appreciate the music the way I do now, but it's like it's been going. No, I, you know, what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this, and this might be a reach, and I don't care, but this Black is King, that was like a therapy session for me. Like all the village, the visuals, the lyrics, everything from top to bottom, I was just like, wow, I, I, I'm really vibing with this shit. Cried a little bit because I was just like, wow, I really never get to see black women this loved and upfront and not like anything sexual, just like appreciated just for who the fuck they are and understanding that their place in the world is a lot more important than what people have, have put us at. All right, so... We are actually wrapping up episode two of season two. Go out there, find a therapist if you can, because even if you think that you are mentally healthy, you can always find out some more information about yourself and just continue to keep yourself healthy. (laughs) You know, you feel me? If you are a man out there, do better. If you are a woman out there, do better. Every day, do better. Everybody, make good choices for yourself and for others. Please wear your fucking mask. I don't care about your masculinity. I care about saving lives. Just to make that very fucking clear. Jameer, you got anything? We signing out? Yeah, um, just again in reference to um us as young black people, we are living in an era where there are actually young black mental health professionals now. So like we actually have people who are like us that we can reach out to now. And I feel like it is so important when looking into uh 
when into, when looking into a mental health professional to find someone that you feel like you can identify with or someone you believe has the cultural competency to actually understand your struggles. That is so important. And I don't think yeah, this isn't to say like you know you won't be you wouldn't be able to find um one who is uh like you know qualified and stuff who's white, but I'm just saying in general, it is cool the fact that we have that we have the option now that there's so many black people who are graduating and giving back to their communities in so many different ways. So yeah, like try to find that black mental health professional. Try to find uh even if it's something that's some well this isn't a cure. But like, even if it's like going to a yoga class, if even if it's like finding time to just it talk with your simple. friends, we just need these conversations around mental health to spread. And hopefully, in turn, your friends who may not have felt comfortable talking to a therapist before might see it as an option. That's that's just really what we're trying to push for. The idea that like we are able to we're able to expand the notion of what it means to talk about black mental health absolutely all right everybody we are out bye